Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. We're heading off to Australia and New Zealand, where we will be appearing live and recording an episode in Christchurch on the 11th of May, Auckland on the 14th of May, Wellington on the 15th of May, Adelaide on the 18th of May, Perth on the 20th, Sydney on the 23rd, Melbourne on the 25th, Brisbane on the 27th, and finally Canberra on the 28th of May. So get in and get your tickets now. They are going very fast. Please go to guiltyfeminist.com and just click on live shows for any of these events. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Guilty Feminist. This is Deborah. This is our very first Guilty Feminist Culture Club. Occasionally now on a Friday, you'll get an extra mini episode just exploring some play, film, book or otherwise with guilty or feminist themes or a balance of the two. We hope you enjoy this, our very first one, exploring Judy, the film. I'm a feminist, but today I happened to see an email from a man who was saying how much he enjoyed The Guilty Feminist and I just scanned it and I saw the word sexiest in it and I thought, oh no, oh no. And then I realised it was sexist. And he was talking about a particular incident of sexism. And I was very relieved, but also a little bit disappointed. <laughs> um, I'm a feminist, but one getting ready tonight to go to this premiere, we're off to in a second. I looked in the mirror and I thought, would a man like what I was wearing? Mm. But it was specifically a gay man, because oh. that is who I'm there to impress. <laughs> 100%. I'm a feminist, but in the spirit of the Judy Garland movie... I also have a confession about gay men, which is I just had an experience on Fire Island, a very long, skinny sandbank, really, a party of gay men. <laughs> uh, That's uh, the collective now. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A festival of gay men, a, a, a parade of gay men. I had this lovely moment of thinking there's no purer love than that of the gay man for the straight woman. It is without competition or agenda. Sometimes if a close female friend turns up with a blow dry unannounced, I think that was a hostile act. <laughs> Whereas a gay man turns up looking fabulous, also celebrating my fabulousness. It just feels like there's a, oh, there's such a simpatico there. Yeah, really such simpatico. So, you know, I feel I'm, I've got a lot of duty in me at heart. It feels like what you're saying is, I'm glad you didn't make the effort. <laughs> you have made the effort tonight. You have turned out. Now, I'm a feminist, but Kiri did not know because I didn't tell her. And this is the bit of me. This that, is the hostile act. This is the hostile act. And it wasn't deliberate because <laughs> I hadn't really looked at the invitation properly. But it said dress code dazzling. Yes. And I didn't know there was a dress code. No. I mean, I mean, I, but I know Kiri Pritchard McLean and I know that she is going to turn up in something besequent. So I thought, oh, I'll pop on my sequined cloak that I've been wearing on stage at the live tour, a long green sequined cloak made by Despicable Daisy with Guilty Feminist on the back. So I thought, I'll pop on my cloak because I'm sure Kerry will come in sequence. And she did. And lo. 
But the dress code said dazzling, dress code dazzling. And honestly, I hadn't told her. And she turned up and said, well, lucky I came in this because I, I wasn't told about the dazzling. I'm so, I'm so sorry. I only found out myself an hour ago and I didn't think to say because I knew you would be dazzling. Good save, I think. Yeah, really good. My resting state is dazzling. You're resting. You have resting dazzling face. You have resting dazzling face. No, you were, you, you are dazzling. I can't wait to go to this premiere with you. Are you excited about Judy? Yeah, I'm really excited. I love her. And I am really excited to see uh, a big fan of Renee Zellweger from the Chicago days. Oh, yes. I think she's phenomenal in that. So I'm excited to see, I, I mean, fair play to her for taking on an icon. Mm. Because everyone, you know, everyone thinks they can do an impression of Judy Garland is mm. the first thing. And that she's willing to take that on is you know, big boots to fill. Such an icon. I mean, I know you as someone who does a musical, The Incredible Show, where comedians do songs from musicals. And also I just did your a musical podcast talking mm. about musicals. So uh, you were, of course, somebody I very much thought of <laughs> when I needed a partner to go to this premiere with for this short Guilty Feminist Extra episode. It's probably our first ever episode that I'm going to call Guilty Feminist Culture Club. Lovely. Guilty Feminist Culture Club, where we're going to kind of go off and do a little, drop a little extra episode, maybe on a Friday. And Boy we- George will pop up. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Boy George was my first call and he wasn't available. So then I called you. Um, a lot of people say I'm the budget Boy George. I mean, so. Budget's the wrong word. Uh, female. <laughs> the you. understudy Boy George. If Boy George is not available, Kerry Pritchard McLean. <laughs> Should be on speed dial. Um, yeah, so I did think of you because I know you're a Judy fan. Mm-hmm. I know you're a musical fan and she's synonymous with the golden age of the musical. I also love Renee Zellweger. Do you know what? I loved Renee Zellweger in um, Jerry Maguire. Oh, yeah. When I first discovered her. She's great. She's just generally great. Obviously, mm. Bridget Jones. Yeah. Uh, more guilty than feminist. Yeah. But just <laughs> adorable and, you know. Yeah. Some good times were had in the noughties. Yeah. I feel like that was a gateway drug to feminism because she's a woman who had a job. <laughs> <laughs> it was a long gateway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was it was a very enjoyable. It was very, very enjoyable, Bridget Jones. We're fans of Renee. We're fans of Judy. We're very excited to see what happens when they come together. Yeah. But also I am tingling with anticipation at some of the feminist themes that yes. we might find. Yeah, of course you can't. Um, I don't think... She doesn't exist in a vacuum, does she, Judy? So I think there's definitely going to be... Mm. I'll be appalled if there's nothing feminist that rears its I head. I suspect there will be. <laughs> All right, are we ready to go to the premiere? Let's do it. You are looking fabulous in sequence. And you are as well, as it turns out. Good job I <laughs> dressed for the occasion. Absolutely. Check if you want a photo of us. It'll be all over the gram. It'll be all over the gram. And also it will. there'll be a picture of us to go with this podcast. So uh, check out the sequence. My sequence of Despicable Daisy. Yes. Um, Despicable Daisy is my sequin tailor. <laughs> I've got um, a really cool jacket from Donald Stanley, which is a great girl. I think her name is Louise. And she makes it all by hand. Um, it's all multi-sizes, isn't it? Multi-sizes. You just say, this is my size and she'll make it for you. We're brilliant. not being paid to say this, just to be no, clear. No, I had to pay for it myself. Being, this is a culture club episode. We're not being paid to go to the premiere. And we're not being paid to talk about who we're wearing. We just are. <laughs> yeah, well, because I'm trying to buy less but buy well. Mm. So I saw an advert for the jacket that I'm wearing and I sent her a message and I said, uh, hello, um, I was just wondering how are the people that work for you treated and, you know, oh. what are they paid? And she went, it's just me and my flat. And I was like, great, you can have my money. <laughs> it's just me and my flat. That's amazing. <laughs> Despicable Daisy's the same. It's just her and her flat. 
So uh, supporting local women. In their flats. Uh, in their flats. Only. That's, that's the only place we'll put our money. Supporting local women making multi-size. Because Despicable Daisy makes to size as well. To great. So um, you've got two great recommendations there. Again, we cannot stress this enough. We're not paid to say this. This is not an advert. No. We just love women doing their thing brilliantly. Absolutely. So welcome to Guilty Feminist Culture Club. And it's off to the premiere. Woo-woo. I'm sorry it's so late. Miss Carl. Oh, please. I'm Judy. I'm very sorry, but your suite has been released. What do you mean, released? Where exactly has it gone? <laughs> your account was in arrears. Clang, clang, clang with the trolley. Mama, please don't go to sleep now. No, no, no. Leave the other one. Zing, zing, zing. The kids need a home, Judy. I know what kids need. They need their mother. Can't have the world's greatest entertainer out here without a drink. Frank Sinatra's here? Frank is great, but he is no Judy Garland. I don't have a home. I can't even get a manager. London would offer you a lot of money. Talk of the town is desperate to do a deal with you. You're saying I have to leave my children if I want to make enough money to be with my children? Are you going to be all right? What if I can't do it again? Mama? Mama, are you there? Somewhere. You need to take better care of yourself. You understand? Everybody has their troubles. And I've had mine. I just want what everybody wants. I just seem to have a harder time getting it. Do you take anything for depression? Four husbands. Didn't work. There's a You won't forget me, will you? Promise you won't. So, Kiri, how did you find Judy the film? Renée Zellweger is amazing. Amazing, isn't she spectacular? Yeah. The hair and makeup is mm. like bafflingly good. There's a few bits. Um, there's a scene where she's walking along a corridor in particular. And I was like, oh, I thought they did some CGI mm. to put her face on Renee's. Mm. But it was so brilliantly done. You know, it's uncanny. And now I'm almost like, don't look at a picture of Judy Garland because that is, in, I've got Renee's one in my head. I'm like, that's what she looks like. That's just what she looks like now. And very, very, very heart-wrenching, poignant performance. I can't imagine the depth she must have plummeted uh, mm. to go there. Does that sound right? Yeah, definitely. It got, it yeah, got the, teary. The, yeah, really teary at the end. I was worried about, because yeah. we both have eyelashes. Huge eyelashes. That are not our own tonight. <laughs> Model's own eyelashes would be a line. <laughs> These eyelashes have been stuck on with glue. <laughs> and so I was, I was really tearing up at the end. It's a celebration of her life, but it's also a look at a very short time where she spent in London mm. um, at a time when she was really at a low. The part that I thought was so clearly dealing in feminist values was how it flashed back to show the we'll try not to give spoilers but it's flashback to show her as a child mm. the age she was when she did the wizard of oz and how she was treated by the studio system mm. that was the thing is that you sort of felt like every willful strong bit of her that was part of her natural sort of personality was sort of slapped out of her mm. by various kind of men in her life really powerful men were controlling her and there's a few examples where her doesn't feel like it's the same for her male counterparts. Yes, when she's on a date with Mickey Rooney, who mm. was her co-star, but it's all been set up by the studio. And she says, is this a real date? Because she's of the age where she's a teenager and she'd like it to be a real date. 
And Mickey Rooney says, oh, you'll have to ask the boss. I don't think so. I think we're just posing for the cameras. And she says, well, I really like you. And he says, well, I'm not going to kiss you. And she goes, oh, but he seems much more in control. Like he's allowed to eat the hamburger and chips. Yeah, she's she's not not allowed to eat anything. Because she's kept on this diet of appetite suppressants and chicken soup, which is just so cruel and abusive. Mm. But the boy is allowed to eat. And the boy seems sort of more like he's allowed to be more proactive and he has a relationship with the boss that she doesn't have. Yeah, because it seems to me as well like he has... Making films is really fun for him. Whereas mm. it's sort of an ordeal where she's told how lucky she is while everyone profits off her talent. So she's used, she's just dealt with like a commodity and doesn't seem to have much agency. And she's there to actually facilitate other people making money. It feels like she was rinsed and juiced as a child because mm. she was a workhorse. She was a commodity. And... That, of course, had a a lifelong effect on her mental health and her relationship with alcohol and pills and that kind of thing because of the way she was treated as a child. And and it did seem like men profited from that Mm. and boys were not treated the same. And I'm sure there are sad stories about boys going through the system as well, but Mm. the, the fallen heroes of that era do tend to be women. Yeah. And there's another great female part in it, which is um, Rosalind, mm. who's her, well, she's so young, isn't she? She's 28 years old. And this, this she gets basically, when Judy goes over to London to do the shows, Rosalind is put in charge of her. I and mean, is like, get this woman on stage, mm. come hell or high water. And she does it. Like, can you imagine being faced with sort of the biggest star? You'd be like, you have to get this alcoholic cross lady on stage every night b- pumping out some showbiz magic like the resolve <laughs> yes, she must have had Judy that everyone knows and loves and actually she's not in a state to do it Jesse Buckley plays her she's playing a real person called Rosalind Wilder mm. and Rosalind exciting I'm getting to interview tomorrow Great. so exciting the real Rosalind and apparently she gave them she sat with them and the, the project in some ways originated with her and she gave them lots of information about what Judy was really like and how she had to manage her and she was a woman with great responsibility. And this was all set in the late 60s. Mm. And so that is something quite mad many, dare I say it, about a woman taking the reins and, you know, them going at it woman to woman. And it, in a way, it became a very important relationship in her life. Mm. And when men let her down, Rosalind, yeah. you know, there was a sort of respect and a, a friendship there and a coming through at times mm. um, that was professional, but in... Very interesting. Uh, we can't tell you any more than that, really, because we're going to give, give yeah, away I the film. Is there anything bet, else you thought? Well, I bet Rosalind's got some spicy stories that didn't make it on the screen. Oh, She's yeah. got to know some good tea on Judy. Yeah. Oh, well, well, I'll ask her and see if she, <laughs> see if she spills those beans. Yeah. I'm very excited too. She seemed very lovely. Oh, so lovely. Elegant. That was exactly the word I was about to use about her, yeah. She was also wearing sequins, but they were much more elegant sequins. They were sort yes, of... Yes, they weren't. It was a sort of black jacket. I shouldn't say more elegant because that's businessing our outfits. We've just said the designs. Uh, well, no, I think they're all, amazing, but yeah. I wouldn't say they're particularly elegant. So, they're not. Well, we both. They're not demure. Went, <laughs> we both went for unsettled sequence. And that was a choice. <laughs> that was a choice curated. Uh, but hers was sort of these little diamantes, just sort of pinned at intervals. Very, very glamorous. Yeah. Was there anything else you thought about the film that it might? What I thought was really clever is they held off having Renee sing for ages mm. and any music, in fact. And then when she sung, she's amazing. And I was like, oh, there must be, this is a mixture of her singing and some tracks of Judy that she's miming to. At the end, all Renee Zellweger. It's incredible. She's 
amazing. You wouldn't know it wasn't Judy Garland at the end of her life. It's incre- it's so, so brilliant. So she's she must be so proud of... I, I don't know what it's like to be an actor. I've not really acted, but I imagine sat there, she must have been like, well, I've absolutely smashed this. Do you know what I mean? Like, how could you look at yourself like that and not think, I've nailed this, I've boxed this off. They're not going to remake um, this. Probably because she's a woman. She probably didn't think that. She probably oh, yeah. sits there looking at it going, oh, I could have done that better. Yeah, or look at my double chin in that shot. Not that she has one, obviously, no, but we really can all doesn't. we can all imagine them on ourselves. <laughs> exactly, yes. But exactly, looking at those things about you that you're not happy with on the screen mm. or the way that they've put you in a certain light to, you know, because she's playing somebody who's in the latter stages of her life yeah. falling apart. So if you want to see a bravura performance from a woman who is almost certainly going to be nominated for an Oscar. I can't yes. believe she won't be nominated for an Oscar Yes, for she will. Then Judy is the movie for you. If you love Judy Garland, or if you're interested in how women were kind of juiced by the system and their male counterparts perhaps weren't in the same way, mm. um, as a feminist, I think this movie's for you. Oh, also, there's a lovely moment where she uh, sort of befriends a gay couple who is very supportive of her. And uh, when Judy's chatting to them, she says, oh, I look out in the audience and I can see you some nights and I feel like I have allies. And I thought allies is a really Mm. important word to use because obviously it has, in the modern sense, it has different connotations. It's being an ally to, you know, LGBT plus people. And so I thought that was a really interesting word to use to Mm. kind of remind everyone of her status in because because i feel like judy is it's she's not ours i think she's part of like queer culture and um, so yeah i thought it was a really good nod to not expunge that element yes the somewhere of the rainbow the feeling around that in terms of the hope for a better future and the how important judy has been as an icon of i suppose outsiderism and mm-hmm. a combination of glamour and pain yeah which due to the patriarchal structures that the gay community has felt that you being ostracized, perhaps your culture being used yep. where it's convenient, but then being sidelined in yeah. other places. And I think the queer community definitely feel that. It's that we love queer culture, but not queer people. Like mm. as a society, we'll watch RuPaul or Queer Eye, but how many people can honestly say that watch that are then positive allies? Yes, so, Kiri, thank you so much for coming to this premiere with me. Thank I you for having me. for a more glamorous partner to stand on the red carpet with. Thank you for bringing your sequence, your love of Judy. <laughs> and it's the end of a long night, so I'm going to call you an Uber because there's no place like home. Oh, lovely work. <laughs> Hashtag other services are available. <laughs> I'll probably call her a taxi in truth. Somewhere. The rainbow way up high. There's a land that I've heard of once in a lullaby. Come 
So Rosalind Wilder, welcome to The Guilty Feminist. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for inviting me. So you knew Judy and you're depicted in the film. You're sort of a very important linchpin of the film, as it were. How accurate is it? I'm desperate to know. Oh, I think it's a very good representation of what happened at the time. I mean, you know, it's a biopic and you have to cram things in to a two-hour slot. But, I mean, if you take it as a whole, it's a pretty good representation of what happened at the time, yes. So you were really put in charge of minding Judy Garland when she was in London and making sure she got from her hotel room to the stage. No, I wasn't put in charge of it. It was just that when... It became obvious that, you know, maybe getting her to the talk of the town was going to be a problem at times, and maybe that she was a bit insecure about going on. I worked there, I worked with Robert Nesbitt, and we sort of thought, well, maybe the easiest way is just to be there and try and look after her. Mm. You know, the whole object of when you have artists going into a place like the talk of the town is to make them happy that they're there, that they want to be there, that they enjoy the engagement, they feel they're being looked after. That's why people wanted to do engagements there. She was no different. It was just that at that time she was a lot more fragile than some others, that's Mm. all. Something that I thought in the film that came through in terms of the feminism of the piece was that her co-star, Mickey Rooney, when she was young seemed to have a lot more autonomy and like he was allowed to eat the hamburger because he was a lad and not, you know, he was seemed to have a better relationship with Louis B. Mayer, the way he spoke about him, and he seemed to have more information. Do you think young men then who were also contracted to the studios were treated better and had more autonomy? I'm not sure... I can really answer that because I think that there were so many of the people that were badly treated and I'm sure that a lot of young boys were badly treated too. Mickey Rooney may have just had the sort of personality that walked through it Mm. in a better way. You know, Shirley Temple walked through it. She was subjected to all that. She ended up as an ambassador. Mm. But there were a lot of people... And it was a brutal regime. It was dreadful. It was, there's no excusing it. And some people suffered more than others. And Judy sadly did, mm-hmm. along with the studio and her husband's and everything else in life. Do you think because she had experienced this adoration as a child mixed with this lowering of her self-esteem by the studio mm-hmm constantly telling her you're lucky to be here and you're not really pretty enough but you've got a good voice and that's why we're keeping you and we can replace you do you think then that kind of relationship was replicated in her romantic relationships absolutely like sometimes that's what you think love is because that's what you experienced as a child and you keep on attracting that or or putting that in some way or another thinking that someone who treats you like that is in love with you Well, or the other way of looking at it is that you are so unhappy with the way you've been treated that when somebody shows you a bit of affection, which is exactly what I think happened with Mickey Deans, Mm. you know, he came in and flattered her and told her that she was wonderful and she suddenly desperately needed that. Mm. So anybody who was 
kind to her, as opposed to the dreadful mother and Louis V. Mayer and all of those. She just lunged after it and thought, maybe that's what I need. Maybe that's love. And did you, at that time, because you were a young woman in a Mm. position of great responsibility, really, uh, were you concerned constantly for her mental and emotional health and thinking, how can I manage that and prop her up and make sure that we're doing the right thing by her? Yes. Because you seem to be concerned for her, but also trying to be businesslike throughout yes, the interaction. Yes, I was concerned for her because I, I knew what was going on in the background. Mm. And I hated it. And I thought it was disgraceful. And I saw a young woman, I mean, she was older than me, but I mean, a young woman all the same, who was a shadow of what she had been. Couldn't always make it to the venue. And at times when she walked onto the stage, people threw things at her. And that, did they really? Yeah, they did, yeah. We were talking about that afterwards. Kiri and I, who came to see the film, <clears throat> there was a scene where people threw bread yes. rolls at her. And we said, we wondered if that really happened. Well, no, this absolutely did happen. Of course it did. It was dreadful. I mean, imagine standing in the wings and seeing that happen. It seems really sad that that was the response of the London audience. And I think we also have a habit of thinking in the past people were more polite than they are now, and that's not always the case. No, I don't think they were. I'm just thinking about when Amy Winehouse broke down on stage a few times and couldn't continue singing. I think most people were really concerned for her, but I think there was a certain amount of booing as well when she kept them waiting for a long time and they'd pay to see her. And I think there's quite a lot of parallels there. Oh, that's quite recent. Huge amount of parallels. Women often, I think, who are super, super talented, like Judy Garland and Amy Winehouse, it feels like the system rinses them or juices them and takes out everything that can be sold and just leaves them there as a husk. And that's the great sadness. What was it like for you being a young uh, woman on Carnaby Street in 69? Marvellous. <laughs> Could you tell us anything about London then? Well, I left school when I was 16 and I went to an employment agency. My father said to me, if you want to leave school, that's fine, but you go and get a job. And I thought, well, fair enough, I'll go and work in the entertainment industry. I don't know why. And I went to this agency and said... I'd like a job in the entertainment industry. And she said, well, we don't have any today. And I said, that's perfectly okay. I'll come back tomorrow. And then when you went back, what was the first job you got? As an office junior, about two months before independent television opened for what became ATV, which was the big London station. And at that time was called ABC Television. It was run by Lou Grade and Val Parnell and Harry Allen Towers and all those sorts of people. And this woman said to me, you know, it's an office junior. And I said, oh, I'll take that. And she said, do you want to know anything about it? And I said, no, thank you. I would just like to get on the ladder and then I'll sort myself out, which mm. I did. I wasn't expected to go to university. I mean, I was expected to get married and have children. And the fact that my mother didn't particularly like my husband when I did choose one was a sort of separate issue. But there was an expectation you'd just get married and have yes, children. and you wouldn't get divorced. I mean, I was just telling somebody outside that when I got divorced and I eventually met somebody else and I was going to live with them, not marry them, I had to get my mother so drunk that she couldn't stand up before I could actually tell her <laughs> that I was going to live with this person and not marry him. And how did she react? 
Well, she was so drunk at the time, she just said she thought it was a good idea. Oh, wow. Wow. I don't think she thought it was such a good idea the following morning. No, no. But she did at the time. The world was too late then. Too absolutely, late. absolutely too late. Did you not remember I told you, Mum? <laughs> Were there any stories that weren't in the film, things that you remember that happened that you treasure or uh, you would have liked to have seen on the screen? You know, I've lived my entire life sort of sitting in the background. I've never really been exposed to media in this way. And when David Livingston first approached me about this in 2015, I must say I thought he was mad. Mm -hmm. And as he said on stage last night, you know, getting it all out of me was like sort of blood out of a stone because I wasn't used to discussing it. But, I mean, I had some amazing experience. I mean, come on, you know. What's it like standing on the stage with Stevie Wonder or Perry Como or Jack Benny? I mean, they're people you don't remember, but in their day they were legends. It was amazing. I knew it was amazing, but it just, you know, somebody said, it's Perry Como next week, and you went, all oh, right, Perry Como, mm, fine. <laughs> well, I'm absolutely delighted you did sit down and tell all of these amazing stories and worked out well hasn't it? it's worked out really well did you like the film i did a lot i think that renee zellweger is incredible oh, you know i sat with her before she started filming and she was amazing it was the most incredible afternoon it was like sitting talking to a sponge you could actually see it all going down we just sat face to face Talked, tell me about it, tell me about it. And she was amazing, wonderful. And the same with Jessie. It's hard at times to watch the film and think that it isn't Judy Garland. Yes, it is. Because it's so perfect and she really breaks your heart in the film. It's quite a sad film, sadder than I thought it was going to be, actually. But she's heartbreaking. I can't believe she won't be nominated for an Oscar and I wouldn't mind betting she wins it. I'm sure she will be. And I went to see them when they were filming on set. And I said to her, you know what? You look amazing. And she said, oh, don't then I'll cry. I said, don't cry, the makeup will run. You know? <laughs> it was like old times. <laughs> don't cry, the makeup yeah. will run. <laughs> he she, must have taken you yeah. back. She looked wonderful. And she's just such a nice person. Mm. That's lovely. Great privilege. I mean, it's been an incredible sort of experience to have done it. Very yeah. lucky to have done it. This has been a wonderful talk in this wonderful town. Thank and uh, thank you so much for telling us it's a little bit more about my pleasure. You thank you so much for inviting me. It's really kind. Hello, all you lovely guilty feminists. This is Sinduvi, and I wanted to tell you that I am going back on tour with my show Sandhog. Um, I will be in Aberdeen, and then Bury St. Edmunds, Canterbury, Leeds, Harrogate, North Allerton, Southport, uh, Chipping Norton, and then, looking at my calendar here, yes, Leicester, and then Birmingham. And then maybe crew, buy some tickets and crew people so I can come there. And then I'm going to come to Camberley, 
Swansea, Bath, Cheltenham, Potter's Bar, North Finchley, Taunton, uh, the Lowry in Salford, and that's it. So all of those dates, it ends sort of end of November. Um, please buy a ticket to come see me if you're in one of those towns or if you're near one of those towns. If you know people who you like or even people you don't like, frankly, tell them to buy a ticket. The show is about, it's about love. It's about the love we have for our parents, for our kids for our partners and how difficult it really is to love anyone consistently for a long time because it's demanding love. Anyway, so do buy a ticket. Please come. Love to see you there. Also, if there's a general election, make sure you get out and vote. That's important. What else do I want to tell you? That's about it. You know, just come to my show, make sure you vote, and most of all, be well and be good to one another. Bye.